Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting-edge strategies and acquiring leads and sales to acquire more customers for your business so you can achieve your vision. And Kasim, today was supposed to be a What's Working Now episode with boy band rock star, Israeli assassin, Kobe Topaz. But not to make light of the situation at all, because it is a very serious situation because of what's going on in Israel. He was actually called up. He is in the Army Reserve. He's a former Special Forces guy. And this is serious. This is life and death. And for those of you who don't, maybe you forget this every now and then, like how precious life is, how much we in the US or wherever you live, like wherever there's peace and freedom I think we take it for granted. And this is something that he sent me a very, I'm not going to repeat it here, but it was just one of those messages that you just never want to get for somebody who's going mm. off to war to myself and some of the folks from our leadership team. And I sent it to my kids and my wife. I'm like, guys, we have got it made, really. And just always be thankful for the freedom and the independence and the war-free environment that you live in. Probably some places where we're broadcasting here today yeah, you are in one of those environments, which is horrible, and I wish everyone the best. I know we have a lot of listeners in Israel, and this is serious business that they're dealing with there. I am hoping that Kobe will come back and do previous, and you know, obviously go back and we'll leave some links in the show notes to the previous episodes that he's done. He's got a unique style, but hopefully he will come back safe and sound for his family and for you, the Perpetual Traffic listener. So our prayers and wishes go out to him as well as all the people that are involved with any fight anywhere on a just cause. And I don't know which side you are politically, it sort of depends, but going to war and having to get a message like I got the other day from him is just very sobering, but let's not take these freedoms that we have for granted. So not to start perpetual traffic on a dark note, because we are optimistic that he will come back, but we do miss him, made me realize that some of our more important and more popular videos that we've done on our YouTube channel, which is over on perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube, are more along the lines of the personal development niche, not necessarily traffic tips. So hmm. I'm throwing this one out to you, but maybe we can banter just a little bit here of some of the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis or some habits that have helped us get to that next level of success for me personally, talking about just what we talked about, I do a meditation every morning called a gratitude meditation. I think it's nice. either seven to 12 minutes. Unfortunately, I didn't do it this morning because I had to like rush off to the auto dealership. But usually I do it the first thing in the morning. It just sets the whole day on the right path for me. Mind Valley was a customer of ours 
for years and years and years. Huge, huge fan of Vishen Lakhiani. There's a lot of people that you can follow out there. The apps that they have in there, the gratitude apps, you can find them on YouTube as well for free, but definitely check out Mind Valley. Anything like that that sets the day on that path and it continuously reminds you of the things that you're grateful for. And by extension, the whole idea for gratitude is what you put out there, you receive back more from it. So I'm a big believer in that. So that's one of the hacks that I do every single day. There's actually an app a friend of mine uses all the time called the Gratitude app, which is actually kind of a cool app. I don't use it quite as much, but that's one of the sort of the hacks that I start my day with. How about you, Cosmo? I love that, dude. Well, so you're talking about my favorite topic, right? Yeah. So you'll probably need to shut me oh. up. I publish my habit journey every morning to Instagram as a story. I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I work out. I do what I call deep work, which is visualization, affirmation, prayer. I'll read something that feeds my soul. Right now, I'm actually reading the Bible, which is interesting because I'm not what I would consider to be theologically aligned, but it's a book that's important to a lot of people. And I was raised Baptist. And so there's some, call it indoctrination there for me. I do a sauna. I do a cold plunge. That's my favorite part of the morning. We've talked about the cold plunge. I do a cold plunge every morning. I don't recommend the cold plunge, the brand. If you're from plunge and you're listening, hear me. Because <laughs> um, that damn thing breaks down so much. I've had that tech out to my house six freaking times. But dude, there's nothing like an ice bath, both just mentally and physically. And I do the gratitude journal too. Actually, I was encouraged by a friend who's on this podcast, Christine Marie. Mm. I was inconsistent with it. And so she challenged me to write five things every day. Yeah. And I've been tracking since she told me. And I think as of this morning, I'm on number 1,415. Wow. Which is kind of fun. Cool. You know what I mean? Like it's only been this year, obviously. But I think over time, you'd start to extrapolate that. You'd start to build up things. And you realize how much you have to be grateful for to the point that you made uh, at the beginning of the show. And dude, I don't think there's anything better or more effective you can do for yourself than wake up early in the morning. Mm -hmm. There was a really interesting study. It was a multivariant study of outstanding successes across every potential level of analysis. So they had CEOs, obviously entrepreneurs, but also military generals and Olympic athletes. And the one common denominator among all of them is waking up two hours before their peers. And that's what really separated them because it's a more productive timeline. Two hours in the morning is worth four hours throughout the day. Yeah. People aren't there to mess with you. You're juiced up and hyperproductive. And dude, I'm a night owl is the other thing. People are like, oh, that's easy for you. You're not a morning person. No, I'm not. Mm. If I had my druthers, I would live my life at around 2 a.m. with a pot of coffee, a pack of Newport cigarettes, a stack of books in my journal. That's heaven for me, Ralph. Like I love nothing more than going to IHOP and sitting out on the patio and smoking myself to death and drinking too much coffee. But all those things are ruinous for your health. And so waking up early keeps me from doing Anyway, that's more than you wanted to know. But that's my habit stack. So to get up at four, I know we've talked about this before, yeah. but it's probably like the last time we did a live podcast together. We're going to try and do one next week because we're actually together next week. Yeah. In we're going to be in Cancun we're gonna be like I hope we can because there's going to be all kinds of super smart people there. And we'll bring a lot of that juicy goodness over to professional traffic, hopefully next week. But the last time I think we spoke, we talked about the habits and what you do. And to get up at four o'clock in the morning, when do you go to bed? I mean, I know you've got young kids, but is it like eight, nine o'clock? Is it that? Yeah, I'm in bed by 9.30 mm -hmm. and I'm asleep by 10. Mm -hmm. So in bed by 9.30, read for a little bit, and then I'll be asleep by 10. Another thing I do for myself is about once a week when I'm done with my habits, usually like a Saturday or Sunday, I'll go back to bed. 
So I'll do that whole stack that I just mentioned. It takes me about two hours, two and a half sometimes. And then after my cold plunge, if I'm still exhausted, I listen to my body and I'll go get another, you know, hour and a half. Because I don't think you should be tired. Mm. But 4 a.m. is arbitrary. You know, it could be 2 a.m. The important thing is just being able to get up when your alarm goes off. Yeah. It's like whenever it is you've decided to wake up, just that's the commitment and that's the habit to cultivate. The alarm goes off and I fly out of bed. And my wife and I keep our phones out of our bedroom for weird hippie reasons. And I'll fly to my phone and I take a picture of my watch. And that's the very first thing I post Instagram is, bam, 4 a.m. I took that from Jocko Willink. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you want to cultivate a habit, maybe 4 a.m. is a little excessive right now. But just go cultivate the habit of getting right out of bed. Because staying in bed, hitting snooze, scrolling through your phone, like all that stuff, that's deadly. Horrible, horrible way to start your morning. I jump out of bed, grab my phone, take that picture, throw on my gym clothes. And I'm in the garage where I work out by like 4.03. And my workouts aren't great. I've been offered that criticism. Somebody on Instagram was like, is that the best time to do a workout? And the answer is no. Like they're not exceptionally inspiring. It'd probably be better if I did it after the cold plunge because the cold plunge spikes your testosterone. Mm. But I like it because it's just a great way to wake up. You know, you just instantly start moving. I thought you went to Orange Theory in the morning. Like, and then you'd have to drive and then go. And so you go right I used to do Orange Theory. Yeah. Yeah, I go straight to the gym, straight to the garage. Mm. I don't like leaving my house. It's inefficient. Yeah. I mean, the time you have to spend is it's costly. Well, it's an extra, you know, for me to go to the gym, it's it's a 15 minutes ride. So, right. Both ways. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's a half hour of time lost. So, yeah. But every. That's a perpetual traffic episode, that, though. You could listen to PT. Yeah. You get smarter. 100%, I could go back and listen right. to previous episodes. but yeah i think there's variations of this i think you have to have a morning routine to a certain degree and i think yours is an extreme routine i would suffice to say it's probably more than most people are doing but i think the idea of having a routine that you stick to every day without fail is a recipe for success and if you just get up or find this Every time I get up at like 5 a.m., I don't do it ordinarily. It's anywhere between like 6 and 6.30. Like I need more sleep than you. There's no doubt about it. And then I look at my whoop, you know, which is all about recovery and strain and sleep and all these other sorts of things, which I really do like sometimes. I don't know how accurate it is. It tells me I need a certain amount of sleep and it's more than Mm. six hours, 100%. So I couldn't do what you're doing unless I went to bed earlier. So do you have to listen to your body? I think that's one of the things, especially with the health issues that both of us have had the last couple of years. It's like you do have to listen to your body. And if 4 a.m. working out is too much for you, then you shouldn't do it. So Yeah, well, and I've taken things too far too. I've learned that lesson a couple of times. So that's probably good advice for everybody listening. At the, <laughs> at the very least, the cold plunge idea, I swear to God, like this makes such a difference in my productivity is – doesn't work quite as well in the summer because the cold isn't so good in the shower, but going from hot to cold in the shower, and we've talked about this before on the show, it's a hard thing to do, but I did it this morning. The shower is harder than the plunge, for sure. Because you have to physically stand there and turn around. We've talked about that a little bit here on the show before, but I'll tell you what, that wakes you, like that and a cup of coffee, I'm a huge coffee guy, like really good coffee, I am ready for the day when I do that. So, I mean, at the very least, have some kind of routine. Some of these apps are really, really good for it. Like I said, I have the dictionary app. So I learn a new word every morning. There's that. Then I've got like this gratitude app and then Mind Valley and or YouTube videos. There's a six phase meditation by Vishen Lakhiani, who I love. 
that's about 20 minutes. If I only have like 10 minutes, I do like this other gratitude meditation by Tom Cronin, who I really, really like. Some people can't stand him, but I actually think he's really good. And he's also got a YouTube video. But it's like starting the day that way, your mind is just so clear. Even if you don't mm. work out, I'm more of a nighttime workout guy. I, I do do it in the morning when I'm traveling. And I, I actually feel so much better. Like next week when we're in. Yeah, but you really work out, right? I mean, you, you lift heavy weights. Yeah. That's your... Yeah, but like next... Yeah, my workouts aren't inspiring. Like you'd make fun of if you saw my workouts. <laughs> well, moving the body, I think, is the important part to it. It's like right. if I get up and I have motion immediately in the morning, I almost think like I'm getting that benefit. The cold shower definitely makes me move. I'm like, you know, it gives you that jolt. So it's almost like artificially doing it. But yeah, it depends on what types of workouts that you do, really. You know, but next week when we're in Cancun, I'll probably be down in the pool at like 6 a.m., you know, doing laps, mm. which is great. I love that. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm cold plunging in Cancun, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's an all-inclusive resort. Yeah which means you can ask for really obnoxious things. And my EA figured out that they'll bring me the ice that I need in the morning. <laughs> so I'm going to get the bags of ice brought. Oh my God, uh, that's awesome. And I'm going to try to talk some Driven members into doing cold bath with me. So you'll be one of them. All right. Well, that'd be like the perfect thing for me to do like right after a swim. So yeah. we'll coordinate on that. So anyway, yeah. the intro to today's episode is taking a long time. But ooh, these are the things we're noticing people really respond to. So we're going to leave links in the show notes for all this stuff so you can get those resources. And of course, you can watch us over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube over on our YouTube channel. That's where a lot of these videos and snippets of stuff come through, through our shorts, which are getting some pretty good momentum here recently, which is really cool to see. Today, shifting gears to things traffic, things digital marketing, I just came back from the Meta Brand Building Summit in New York City. Mm. First one that they ever did. Brand building. I was say, Meta seems to be doing a bunch of events. Is that new or off base? Here? It's a relatively new thing. They would do like one a year. They do their G whatever F eight conference or whatever that like the developer conference. But now they're doing mm. it for agencies and for companies. So we actually met one of our biggest customers there, which is great. Spent like a full day with him. You know, spent some time in the meta offices after that with some of the agency people there, really getting sort of an understanding of what's going on in the industry. But you know, this is their first brand building summit, which we're going to be breaking that down today. And you're thinking to yourself, brand, I'm a direct response. I'm a performance marketer. Well, are you really? Are you really? I've never really known what brand building means, yeah. to be honest with you. Like, what does that mean? I think what meta is seeing is that the trend and we've talked about it here, is performance is always going to be there. But brand performance or brand performance is sort of the new buzzword in the industry. I hate that word so much. <laughs> brand performance. Brand performance. That was the buzzword. You won't see that in any of our marketing literature, by the way. But anyway, brand performance is something that if it's done right, it actually does work. And it takes you from where you are right now to that next level of success. And we've seen this now with upwards of a dozen clients for Tier 11. So it's the real deal. So we're going to get into the Brand Building Summit, the big points from that, right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Perpetual Traffic. 
Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me, and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, we are back here. We're going to be talking about the Meta Brand Building Summit that was held this past week in New York City. I was fortunate enough to attend that. And, you know, when you go to these conferences, Kasim, it's always funny because, and I told our customer, I was like, listen, there's going to be a lot of fluff and there's going to be a lot of their agenda. Mm. But what you have to do is you have to be able to sift through it and pull out four or five things at the most that you say, okay, that is going to change. I'm going to implement that. So wrapped in this big fluffy package, and there is a lot of it, it is like some real nuggets. So hopefully we'll be able to pull some of those things out here today, but it's hard. You got to stick through it for like eight hours in order to pull out those five things. And, and, the first hour or so was kind of like, I kept looking over him. He's like, eh, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, the speaker that came out, and then another one, he's like, whoa, I have my four or five things. So true to mm. form, like it did actually happen. So, But you do have to sift through it a bit. Who's speaking with these summits? Is it all meta employees, like internal mothership, or are they bringing in? Okay. Yeah, it's mostly internal mothership people. So they have an agenda, okay? Like they've got a bunch of performance advertisers in the room, right? This is the big takeaway. Meta knows they are a performance-based, direct response-based platform as far as the world sees them. The world does not see them as a brand-building platform. However, if you can blend this brand-building awareness consideration and conversion, we've talked about this before, the ACC model that we refer to inside Tier 11 is getting awareness at the top of the funnel, consideration is some kind of action on your site, some kind of exchange of information, typically an email or a name or a phone number or whatever it happens to be. And then the C in ACC, second C, is conversion, is ultimately getting a purchase. But that journey, we do it all, whether or not we realize it or not. 
Meta has been very focused on the last C, which is conversion, which is website conversion campaigns. However, when they do these summits, they bring in all their top people, their VPs, like the whole list. It's VP of this, VP of that, VP, director, 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 all these like top dogs. Like Zuckerberg doesn't show up for these, but it's all the people that are on that side. And then usually there's forums with big brands. So if you're a small to mid-sized brand, let's say you are a 3 million in revenue to a couple hundred million in revenue, you are considered a small to mid-sized business to somebody like Meta. The case studies that they talk about are the people that they bring in from the outside are on these huge corporations like Wendy's, Tiffany, PepsiCo, big mm. companies. And then they use those case studies and then say, this is what you should do. So you as the mid to small marketer have to extract how you can apply this because you're not PepsiCo. You're not Wendy's. But the lessons that you get are applicable. And what we've found is that the more Meta does these conferences, we come up with great ideas for our individual clients. And then we have entire channels in Slack where we discuss this stuff. So I'm sure this podcast will be part of that. But that's usually how it's set up. So that's kind of the frame, if you will. So there's fluffiness. And then there's some tactical, but it's very high level because it's bigger brand enterprise. So then your job is to pay attention and start to extract it. And that's where great ideas come from is obviously it's not necessarily doing exactly what other people are doing, but doing what they're doing, copying it to a certain degree and making it your own. Does that make sense? Yeah. The thing about copying that always worries me when we talk about brands of that size is so much of what they do is just predicated on massive spend. Right. You know, it's like Pepsi can just carpet bomb the world with their images. I'm pretty sure that's more or less their stated marketing strategy. Like, I just need you to see my logo 100 million times and then you're going to drink my drink. Right. I guess it takes somebody like you, right? It takes the strategist to distill what works and what doesn't based off of what your clients are capable of doing. Because that does not work with our clients. We do not work with enterprise level clients. But by and large, PepsiCo maybe has some agencies that they work with, but they have a large internal team. Like we did some work or we discussed working with Under Armour at one point in time. They're like, they have a staff of like 60 people that do what we do. I'm like, why do you need us? It's like, yeah. we'll be happy to help you on certain parts of it. But it's like, there's no way. But then every business is slightly different that way. And that's fine. And creative houses or creative agencies are pulled into like that 60 or 70 person team, for example. And they do bring those people in oftentimes in this conferences like this. Although there weren't any agencies that I recall that actually did speak at this thing. But how do you pull that stuff out? from what the big guys are doing because like we'd get slaughtered if we took the strategy for PepsiCo and did that for all of our clients. So we wouldn't get any results. We just wouldn't. So that's kind of the big play here. So I don't know as if you necessarily, if you pull out one thing from today's show is this is where Meta is going. This is where we have been going for about six months now. And it's further affirmation. They're doing an actual summit on this subject which is counterintuitive to how they're perceived in the market is primarily a performance engine. So Google probably is the same way. 
in a lot of respects. It's a direct response engine, primarily, you know, Google pay-per-click for a certain degree. But, you know, display network, you could be carpet bombed by PepsiCo ads and Wendy's ads, I'm sure. You know what I mean? So, and dude, I've always thought the Google Display Network was the single most important untapped repository of ads, period. Yeah. It's massive. It's massive. But it's so underutilized and it's hard to use. They haven't, you know, Facebook Meta really cracked the code on how to integrate ads with media. When you're in Instagram or you're in Facebook, the ads are so integral to the experience. The way that Google searches, Google hasn't done that with display yet. I think they'll be able to better when we get SGE to greater degrees. But meta as brand building makes a lot of sense because, I mean, it's just like television commercials. The more a commercial maintains continuity with whatever viewing experience you're currently having, like, dude, I don't know if you remember this, and I don't know if they still do this because I don't watch much TV anymore, but it used to be that if you were watching The Walking Dead, the commercials you saw were related to, or, you know, like it's a commercial for Heinz ketchup, but they're little zombie ketchup bottles or whatever. But that continuity, like it's funny and it's cute, but it's also brilliant Mm. because you're maintaining continuity with where I'm already psychologically primed to accept messaging. And Meta's built that way naturally. So I think them for brand building makes all the sense in the world. My question is, and and maybe we're going to get here, I don't mean to jump the gun, Mm. but how do you measure this? Mm. So if it's brand performance, is it just likes, comments, and shares? Like, how do you measure brand lift, brand awareness, brand performance? What are the KPIs? They were so light on that. Of course they were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There was literally no no solution was offered aside from, (laughs) well, maybe there's a couple of things, but they're just so highly esoteric that they just didn't even mention them. And that's what myself and our customer were looking at because we were doing this strategy right now for them. And Mm. I leaned over to him. I was like, this is all great, but how are we going to measure it all? And he's like, I want to see that part of (laughs) the show. And they never got to it. Well, I've got an answer for them. It's MER over time. It's media efficiency ratio expanded. It's based on some assumptions, right? Increased brand awareness ultimately will increase ROI. That's more or less the assumption. And so if I was advertising last year and all other variables are the same and I'm advertising this year and my brand awareness has gone up in theory, then other levers will have been improved. Click-through rate is better. Conversion rate is better. Customer take rate is better. Retention is better because I have better brand awareness. And so I should be able to see the improvements, I guess, based on that comparison to that timeline. And dude, it makes sense philosophically. Like if we were in school right now teaching marketing, that's an easy thing to put in a textbook. That feels like an impossible thing to sell. I don't know how to sell that. Like if I got a lead this morning and I have to hop on the call with this customer and I'm going to go sell them brand performance, I'm going to feel kind of silly. It's a bit of a leap of faith when it comes right down to it. And the funny thing is that, I don't know if you've read his book, but Byron Sharp was one of the speakers here. And Byron Sharp is this very well-known, best-selling author, wrote How Brands Grow. They're actually giving away is like his second iteration of that book at the conference, which was worth it unto itself, which is kind of cool. It's a really interesting dude from New Zealand. And he basically said he doesn't do anything like model mix marketing, which is sort of an esoteric way of tracking and making sure that everything is being done accurately. And I haven't seen a model where it works perfectly every single time. One of his takeaways is he said to a bunch of performance marketers, you don't need to measure everything. 
you can actually miss some stuff as long as you're keeping an eye on the big picture. Back to your philosophy on this, which I agree with, which is Murr, mm. you know? So there is a certain leap of faith when it comes to brand, but here is the key takeaways. Well, we'll throw in some stats here, is that you don't have to go from conversion ads. Like, let's say you're running conversion ads right now. And chances are, if you're listening to this show, most of your meta ads are website conversion ads. Great. Good place to start. That's where I would start. And you can optimize that. You can separate out your levels of traffic. You can go back to listen to 500 episodes of professional traffic. We talk about all this sort of stuff. Point is, is like you don't have to start with, oh, I need to start building brand and spending twice as much on brand awareness or reach campaigns. No, you do it in slow increments. You do it over time so that mm. when you do this, you start building up your own brand voice, but you're seeing not a huge decrease in the effectiveness of your conversion ads. So for example, like with a client of ours, we're doing this at $100 a day for not brand awareness, top of funnel ads. Like just, hey, get the brand out there, no call to action. All we're looking for is brand recall as our conversion action. We'll, we're doing this with consideration campaigns, which is sort of middle of funnel traffic campaigns, maybe a middle of funnel conversion with a website conversion objective for a lead, not necessarily a sale, mm -hmm. or for reading a blog post, or for watching a video views. Like you can do it in increments. And we actually have a test running right now where we're testing five different top and middle of funnel campaigns and seeing which ones are the ones that have the most lift on the back end. For us at Tier 11, it's specifically, it is book scheduled calls. And those book scheduled calls through, you know, the way in which we track, which does get, it gets pretty close to figuring out what works and what doesn't at the top of the funnel. It's not exact, but gets pretty damn close. We're starting to see lift overall just in leads, quality leads for our ideal customer profiles. And that's how you sort of do it. You do it in small increments. And Byron Sharp, one of his big takeaways is don't do burst advertising. Don't just throw a bunch of ads out there and then stop. Just do it slowly and consistently over time and start building this over time because what you'll start to see is not huge gains. And a lot of marketers, performance marketers especially, are looking for big gains immediately. Oh, I got a 3x ROI when I change this one thing in my campaign. Whatever that thing is, it's probably because you upped your creative. You did a lot of sort of things that we talk about here on the show. Maybe you started incorporating creator content that's actually really good, really speaks to your avatars, pain points, desires, whatever it happens to be, however your product solves that particular problem. But in most cases, you're just going to get incremental gains. And all those incremental gains start to add up and start to build your brand without you really even thinking that you're a brand advertiser. And so you can do it with just small campaigns and then grow them over time. And we've done this now. There's a case study that we have to talk about here on the show where we did it where they were spending about seven grand a month on brand sort of middle of funnel consideration campaigns. And over a seven month period, they're now at $70,000 a month in spend. Mm. And their Google spend in a really, really super competitive space is flat to down. And their cost per acquisition is down by 50%. 
So stay tuned for that episode, because that's going to be one I think you're definitely going to want to listen to, where we're applying all this. But what I'm trying to do right now is just sort of shift your mindset. And yeah, we've gotten some comments from some people saying like, yeah, stop talking about the bloody red ocean of website conversion campaigns and high intent keywords. Bullshit. You know what? Screw that guy. Because the point is, you should be talking about this because that's where everything's going. CPMs in those spaces are not getting any cheaper. Yeah, it's not going to get better. You can offset it with this. What we're seeing now is when we start to blend in consideration and awareness campaigns, our overall CPMs are decreasing because we have less reliance on the areas where there's more competition. Does that make sense? Mm, that does make sense. Yeah. And you, know, you said it earlier, but there's a leap of faith required because you have to commit a longer period of time then you'd be able to attribute conversions to anyway. Right. We're used to saying in the standard narrative in the very beginning, it was 30 days. Now it's 90 days. I'm sure it's going to get longer than that for conversion marketers. But you have to wipe your slate there a little bit and not think in those 90-day epochs because that's not what this is at all. Which in a really interesting way, man, you have to be so confident in your core assumptions. Yeah. You have to be really confident in what you're offering. You have to be really confident in who you're targeting. You have to be really confident in your messaging. This peels all the way back. It's funny because before the show, we were talking about Mad Men. This is Don Draper stuff, man. You know, like you just have to feel really confident about your approach because you're going to be putting a ton of weight, a ton of money, and a ton of time behind that approach without any formal indications of success. Yeah. It is a little bit of the longer game. What I'm saying is to people who are resistant to this, this is coming. Well, what other choice do you have? You don't have much choice. Yeah. You know, there's almost 4 billion people monthly on this platform. 4 billion. Like there's 3.8 billion people on meta platforms every single month. That's half the planet. Mm. And advertisers... Well, half of the planet is living on less than $2 a day. So we'll say that meta has 100% of the commercially viable planet. Good point. I don't think there's much more expansion you can really do. Yeah. George Friedman talks about this. I just read his book, by the way. It was phenomenal. The Storm Before the Calm by George Friedman. And he's a geopolitical strategist who's very middle of the road. He's not like a sensationalist, like a Peter Zihan, or even like a Ray Dalio. Like he just views things a little bit more calmly. And what he said about technology was so impactful. He said that technology will only have the economic impact consistent with its ability to make changes in our day-to-day lives. And so in the very beginning, something like Meta rolls out or Facebook or before Facebook, Friendster or whatever, and the impact that that had on our lives was staggering. And so it has a staggering impact on one person's life. So there's the x-axis, let's say, but then there's the number of people who who can it impact. So there's the y-axis. And so now it's the amount of impact per person and the number of people impacted. And when you see things like that, you see just this opportunity to exponentially impact humanity, but it tapers. And we just saw kind of like you just said it, man, it's the end of the taper. And with the taper comes stasis and with stasis comes efficiency. And with efficiency comes massive commoditization. And really what that means is meta today is a whole lot like television was in the 70s and 80s. It was a ubiquitous truth and a prerequisite. If you were going to advertise, you had to be on TV. Had to, had to, had to, had to, had to. But because they got so efficient with it, it became really hard to break into. And so I think what we're seeing happen, and this is happening inside of it, I think it happened in Google before it happened in Meta, is we're seeing small businesses priced out. Yeah. Because of this, small businesses can't have this conversation. You can't be a small business talking about brand performance. Yeah. You know, dude, you remember you used to be able to spend 500 bucks a month in Facebook and get real results. 
Like you could do something and then 500 became two grand and two grand became five grand. And what's y'all's minimum ad spend right now? What's the lowest you'll take a client? I mean, we'll start brands that don't have any spend, but have, that's a trick question. <laughs> the average company for us spends, oh God, probably anywhere from 50 to a couple hundred thousand dollars per yeah, month. Our average is 52. Our average is 50. Yeah. Our top side is seven figures, but we won't take anybody less than 10 grand. Well, if they're less than 10 grand, we call it an incubator account. And they basically have to sign in blood that they know this is doomed to fail. And if it succeeds, it's a gift from God. Yeah. Yeah. The caveat to that are companies that are either venture angel or private equity backed that want to launch in the U.S., and have mm. runway for it. You have to have a marketing budget to be able to successfully navigate the digital marketing landscape. Or the other side to that is I've got a great offline. We're talking to a customer right now that spends half a million dollars a month on direct mail, but no digital. So very successful Dude, business. I love those are my so favorite customers. All you do is you take what they are doing. It's kind of a simple right. formula and they will be a great client for us. It's so simple. I don't think it's simple, simple, but it's in, it's in a challenging simpler than, a, than not having it's that. It's in a challenging <laughs> niche. You have a successful business. You want to translate that over, not replace your direct response. They want to use this as an adjunct. So trick question there. Both of those, the venture backed, want to launch in the US, or you know, they don't even necessarily have to be venture backed, but like have runway, have some money hmm. to be able to spend. But then the other one, successful business, want to go online. Both of those have zero ad spend. Now it's the local regional business that we would then defer off to our local regional division, like our startup division, and they would be able to help them. But for tier 11 proper, yeah, it's, you got to have some ad spend, which basically shows that you have a product or an offer that resonates with the market. And that typically starts with like 10 to 30 grand per month in spend. It sort of depends. We'll do an analysis of it and everything else. But that just shows you've got a valid product unless you're just burning money, which does happen on occasion as well. Dude, I've got those clients yeah. too. I've had those clients that are like belligerently convinced <laughs> that they're misunderstood. Mm -hmm. You know, and I hate to laugh, but I've just been I mean, I've had to tell people I'm not running these ads anymore. You I'm not I don't want to take your money because this is painful to watch. It's painful to watch you punish yourself this way. Yeah. There's some businesses that just shouldn't be advertising because their products suck. Yeah, Sorry. that's what I'm thinking of. We had a client in the SaaS space who like was convinced that he was going to take on these major players and was just as good. And, and dude, he had uptime problems. Have you ever used a SaaS product that had uptime problems? <laughs> it's the most you know frustrating what I mean? thing in so the like, world. I will never come yeah. back here again, ever. Right. If ClickUp is down for 60 seconds, it is the end of the world as we know it. There's no coming back from that. And I'll remember it for the rest of my I'm life. Against gonna be, them. Like, yes. You can't be assessed. And it was every couple of days for him. Yeah. Like the, you just couldn't log into the damn thing. Yeah. And I was like, dude, it's like your, your you, product know, sucks. you have a good idea with, yeah, you can't stop it. Yeah. Stop. Stop um, doing that. All right. So that is part one of our summary of the brand building summit in New York from last week from Meta. We went high level on episode one, but in part two, we're going to get into the actual tactics of some of the speakers and my interpretation, Cosmos interpretation of what you should actually do as a media buyer, as a VP of marketing, where the puck is going here. This is the big thing. So just the fact that Meta actually put together a brand building summit is a big deal. And it's a sign of things to come. And usually when they do these sorts of things, they are predicting the future. So 
I think you got to get on board with this bandwagon here and start understanding a little bit more that awareness and consideration part of your conversion funnel and not just rely on website conversions. And I know I've been beating a dead horse here for a while for many episodes, but the point is, is that's where things are going right now in the digital marketing space. So in part two, we will get into more specifics of what this means to you, how you should start structuring your campaigns what types of front-end brand awareness and consideration campaigns you should put together when we do that in part two. So make sure that you do check that out. We will leave links in the show notes to some previous episodes where we've done stuff with Meta in the past. Obviously, best of luck to our boy Kobe over in Israel. I just got a message from him today. He is safe and sound, which is a great thing. That's hot off the presses literally just minutes ago. So pretty excited about that. So far, so good with him. Make sure that wherever you listen to this show, subscribe, leave a rating, and let us know what we can do better over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. Follow me over on LinkedIn and Kasim everywhere. He is now everywhere on the socials. It's actually quite disgusting at Kasim Aslam. But most importantly, follow us at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube and all of our socials. We give you a little bit more insight behind the scenes stuff. We just actually recorded here in Cancun, Mexico on a catamaran on uh, this great mastermind that we were at with some really juicy tidbits that's coming up in a future show. So definitely stay tuned for that. Of course, all resources and show notes are over at perpetualtraffic.com. On behalf of my awesome co-host, Qasem Aslam, until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic 